right, so this is week nine of the quarter? Ten? Ten, right? Nine going into ten. Nine going into yeah. ten. Jeez, that's how grad school's going. But this is week nine of our Reflections podcast eight. Sure. <laughs> and right. I think the sixth one that's available somewhere, various platforms, we aren't plugging anybody anymore because nobody's sending us money, so you all get no shout-outs anymore. But I'm Justin. I'm Chris. And I'm Ian Green, special guest. Yep, and this is... Technically now, honored, th- honored to be here. Yeah, now three guys, one mic for this. Sh- that's this week's yeah, episode. It's just yeah. three guys, one mic because we're weird. But we wanted to start off with our special guest speaker. We wanted to ask him what you think, and Dr. Green, when it comes to our project, did you have an end goal in mind when you created such a large class project, or did this just happen because the project we decided to do? Well, first of all, lots of credit to. Uh... Dr. Crane, uh, for helping to conceive all of it, um, you know, all of the sort of big structural stuff was, mm-hmm. was co-created with the two of us, so she, you know, deserves that. Um, in terms of, well, when you, when you ask what you think, do you, do you want me, want to hear what the original conception was, or what I'm thinking based on having seen people's projects? Let's go with both, because I want to know what originally was going to happen, and then what's now happening and why. Um, so I think my original hope was that we would really think about, you know, that we have two hours and 20 minutes, two days a week, in which to make our class a kind of laboratory where we discuss and think about fundamentally different ways of doing scholarship and of you know, interacting with the world, given that we're in a, a post-digital ecology. Um, and my hope was that we would develop a project that allowed, you know, a, as we organize it, each of us to individually contribute to that, and then as a group, collectively, collaboratively design something that was fundamentally different. Um, and it really was that collaboration that um, we were focused on and that I was focused on, given that so many of our classroom spaces are not organized around collaboration and are not organized around equity. It was a real question and an experiment um, in whether you know, digital humanities could be in a way that traditional humanities haven't been. Also, I wanted to just see if we could do cool stuff, and I wanted to see if we could get into a little bit of trouble. And we haven't yet seen if we're going to get yelled at. Uh, we have a couple of projects that hopefully might get us yelled at. Um, and, um, you know, you, you sort of need the, the liberty of each individual um, project to go in those different directions, but also, like, all of us be working together in order to figure out, you know, if we're going to get into some trouble, how can we protect each other, how can we, you know, support one another, how can we encourage us, you know, everybody to get into some trouble. So that's the original conception. I hope that answered that question. It did, but now what's going on since... This is, since seeing? Yeah, since um, seeing what we're all doing. First of all, I think everybody's project looks great and exciting, and like it does um, contribute to that original mission statement. I do think there's still time for us to think about um, whether we are, uh, again, doing something that's really new, or whether we keep having this discussion about, yeah, 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 we can do something that's really, really new, we can create a big database. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and it's not. It doesn't seem to be rooted in any kind of tech 
pessimism or tech optimism. Just kind of a neutrality is sort of like, well, the, this is what the world is, and these are the things that are there, and therefore we'll, we'll interact with that as opposed to imagine something different. We had these conversations about um, how AI basically, you know, the, the story about the AI that immediately became racist, right? Um, and we present that as, well, we, we fed it us from Twitter, and therefore it's not, you know, it's just reflecting us. Like, no, it's not. It's reflecting Twitter, and there are other ways to design, to interact with the possibilities of AI, the, you know, discourse, you know, that's, that's a language event. That's a digital humanities project. There are different ways to design that where we could say, you know, even if this space has sort of privileged the voices of white supremacy, you know, that doesn't mean that that's just innate or natural. You can do something different. Right. Um, so what do you think we should be feeding AI to make it not racist like Voltaire or I don't know uh, maybe or maybe we should be encouraging it to to abandon Voltaire to abandon you know why can't we move past the enlightenment you know why can't we move past western style uh, philosophy being the being the, the normative touchstone for, for us um, why can't we move it toward you know, all digital humanities scholarship, away from presupposing expertise, which is what we're all trained to do in the humanities, and toward a model where we're, we're admitting in a vulnerable fashion, like, I don't know. You know, we don't have a scholarly model for not knowing things or for being exploratory. So what would you feed an AI? Um, a personality that asks questions as opposed to produces answers. Okay, so we should just let it hang out with, like, three-year-olds who always ask why? Maybe. Yeah. I like that. How yeah, much you good. heard it? <laughs> yeah. That's a good model. You know, think about the way that toddlers are. You know, they come up with connections that are truly genius. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they don't make any sense, but they're, you know, genius. Right? Like looking at yeah. a tree and going, triangles. Like, oh, yeah, I, I suppose that that is composed of a whole bunch of triangles, but mm-hmm. that's just not how I see the, the tree. Yeah. No, I think I've said this before on this podcast, but the idea that like true originality is actually just nonsense, like so, like uh, so yeah, there is that sort of um, unique quality about children where mm-hmm. they don't have this sort of preset like objective sense of the world, I guess, or mm-hmm. what we consider to be the objective sense of the world. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they can look at a tree and say triangles. Are right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the hope with with our projects, and that's why I say I love them as they are. There is still time to make sure, are, are we doing that thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And am I allowed to tease or give away oh, some yeah. of your projects? Oh, yeah, we've been talking about them. But, like, um, Curtis, you've been talking about, you know, something that there is a sort of an archive for and we could take in very literal fashion, um, the idea of protest movements on campus. Yeah. There's a natural way to um, study that. That has been done. But you've increasingly been playing with um, collapsing um, temporalities mm-hmm. and thinking about, well, what did that produce in our sense, not just of this interesting archive, but our sense of protest? You know, what does it mean to think of resistance as taking place across a time scale of hundreds of years as opposed to post-1968, you know? Yeah. And Justin, your um, presentation yesterday of... Uh, it's, it's a very playful project, um, but it's designed to thwart us and to thwart our attachment to and our comfort with um, with the web, with the digital 
writing, but also just with you know the author and with the writing that's presented to us in a way that's supposed to be comforting and you know we're imagining you know invisible guiding hands working with us. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to thwart all of that um, in a way that's really playful and fun, but also really thoughtful. Right? So I love it. I'm pleased. We can still push it further, but um, but yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Okay, cool. And did you have any more questions? Because that was going to be like the only real like big like let's let Doctor Green just reel off about things. The, the rest oh, is yeah. going to be. Yeah, I'll try not to lecture on the next one. Oh, no, <laughs> oh no, you're good. That was like we wanted to have a lecturable moment and get some perspective from the teacher because you know how we see the class going or what our end goals are usually aren't the same as like what a teacher envisions or what actually ends up happening. You know, I I'll say also um, in terms of why did we pick a kind of you know, a project-based mm-hmm. um, organization, especially for a grad course, is because in this field um, and in scholarship in general, I should no longer be the voice of expertise. Right? So having sort of a luxury moment, you know, it makes sense um, why, especially as you're special guest for today. Uh, but, but truly, this should be um, an experiment in, in students striving, you know, um, not just what they create, but what we all learn together. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been very rewarded. I've learned so much in this class. And you, know, you, you all have been the ones teaching me. So. And that was part of the goal in, in creating this, this project. Yeah, I think there's like two big things I feel like I've taken away from this class so far, which is kind of we need to rethink the way in which you kind of deal with form if that makes sense, because this class has kind of showed us that there is kind of a new form mm-hmm. being created, and there's so many opportunities mm-hmm. in that way. And then uh, kind of sort of plug my idea for my teaching class. I'm trying to design a course on um, classical Chinese literature or uh, poetry, but I'm not an expert in that. So the idea of sort of modeling uh, academic modesty, if that makes sense, as a teacher in your classroom is kind of important to both that and then this, mm-hmm. obviously, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And it's scary. It is yeah. really scary. And um, that's why I'm glad we uh, piloted it with graduate students. Um, but it's scary there as well. And you'll find when you're doing it with undergrads, it's really hard as an instructor to give up the security that you also take from you know relying on your own expertise. You know, they all look to the teacher in the room and they're like, well, so, you know, guide, mm-hmm. give it to us. Yeah. Right? But so to walk in and say, I don't know, we are going to figure it out, is really, is really scary, you know. And I don't know that we have a good language for it anywhere in academia. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think that we can, like, as you said, because so much of what we do is built on, like, that sage on a stage. Like, there is one person in that room who is a conduit through which all of the knowledge that is supposed to be distilled in that class flows, and that's our very very traditional model and i don't think that we do have a model yet where we can be like yeah nobody knows we're all just like i might know a little more than you do because of just the amount of time i've been practicing but i'm by no means an expert in any of this one of my great frustrations is that um i you know i teach american lit one which is beginnings to 1865 and that makes sense because that's my background um but because of that Whenever I teach the course, students just assume that whatever I give them just is, 
literature in America mm-hmm. beginning to 1865, as opposed to is what I decided it was. Um, they think that I have expertise as opposed to I have expertise in the thing that I'm an expert in, like mm-hmm. a very sort of narrow, specific thing. And, you know, it's, it's very subjective to me. Right. And when it, you're in a survey course like that, people just sort of don't believe it. I've, I've uh, done in the past, I've, I went, walked into my American Life course last spring and said, um, I'm going to throw out the syllabus. Let's remake it. And it really pissed people off. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they I were remember, really yeah. angry about it because they think that, well, how will I know if you don't show me? Mm-hmm. So with a, a course like this in digital humanities, there is a lot of scholarship in digital humanities. Digital humanities is not new, even though we're just starting to do it here. Mm-hmm. At the same time, because it requires interdisciplinary work, because it requires um, so much collaborative work, I think I don't think it's necessarily as possible to have that focus on you know the the sage the, mm-hmm. the master teacher yeah and i find that interesting that you you've you've narrowed in on like the collaborative aspect and like we are all trying to do it because i mean legit which i have to figure out how to send an email to all without clicking every single student to ask questions but that's its own <laughs> thing but like i like how you've narrowed in because when i was googling around looking for like definitions of what digital humanities is like collaborative in nature kept coming up over and over again they would talk about interdisciplinarity and collaboration between different groups and mm-hmm. i that i think is scary and exciting because as you said like especially being fresh out of undergrad like i've only done one thing for the past four years and that's lit studies and now to be like yeah. learn to program learn to, to think outside of the box learn to take this abstract concept of hauntology which i guess you could even say dr crane is haunting our Mm-hmm. class as is because she helped set it up so much and hasn't gotten to be there to guide it and whatnot but um yeah i had a point there i don't remember it but <laughs> well that's a um that's an interesting point about um there's different there's different sort of personal histories and, and backgrounds intersecting in what you just described um you went through a, a lit major and presumably, we, I mean, I, we taught you. We yes. gave you that. <laughs> you were in our program. Yeah. Uh, but we should have been teaching you to go beyond what we do mm-hmm. as opposed to um, teaching you to be us. Yeah. Right? Uh, except that, you know, going through a, a lit major, like most majors, is super conservative. Right? You, you sort of end up learning the canon and you, oh, yeah. you, you know, you continue to, you know, sort of, you know, bloom esque sort of. You never exceed your influences if you're always looking to your influences. And if your influences are always these instructors that are giving you the canon, how are you actually breaking new ground, right? Um, so you're sort of stymied by that or boxed in by it. Um, but but in the back of your minds, you all know, like, but I'm supposed to do something brand new, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then the other expertise, which is, um, you know, when Dr. Crane was with us, I, I think it's a good example of, Bringing together really sort of interdisciplinary focus, mm-hmm. um, and you know she's so brilliant in so many ways and has this background that I just don't have. Mm-hmm. So it's, it is interesting that we set a course up with her, and, and unfortunately she's she's not um, with the course the sort of second half of it. Mm-hmm. But that expertise is still there, mm-hmm. and we're still just exploring it. Right, right, without so a guide. It, in a way, you know, it's, it is still there, mm-hmm. uh, being productive. And, 
And so thinking about it as haunting is interesting because I guess all of the work we do is always haunted by the instructors who helped us or haunted by the people who set up those structures that we're in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I I think because you talk about like moving beyond the canon, like a great example, personal thing is you asked me for American Lit 2 reference, like recommendations and I couldn't come up with anything that wasn't in a Norton off the top of my head or wasn't super canonical because... That has been my life, you know, and yeah, it was just an interesting and hard thing to have, realizing that I've spent four years reading and I can't recommend something non-canonical, but still really great writing for an American Lit 2 class, and I've grown up in a time frame where that stuff is all the new stuff, potentially, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, and we all think, um, well, if I had my chance, I would be the one who creates a really cool groundbreaking, unique class. And then when you're tasked, you know, I said, Mm -hmm. if you were teaching this, what would you assign? Mm -hmm. Anything in the world. And it's hard. All of a sudden, it becomes really difficult to to think of anything. Right. The amount of possibilities create anxiety within you Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. Yeah. 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 That's very Freudian. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what happened. I mean, I'm glad that you, coming back to Curtis, like broke the mold and are doing a really cool lit class. Mine is like theory but with... Uh, George Lepard, and that's all I added to it was theory the ring. <laughs> that's 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 what my class is. I did a theory class with Lepard, and now I'm a little disappointed that I didn't push myself there. Mm. Yeah. And it's too late to restart. But is it though? I don't think it is. I could it's just did you crush, yeah. uh, uh, Monk Hall? I did. Yeah. I ha- no. I have. I have. But I want to figure out how to teach Lepard in a new way, not just theory based, because it feels like yeah. That's where I'm being too safe. Lepard is out there and crazy, and I love him, and he should be taught. Yeah. But I should have gone with the canon as construction class. I may still do that, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, you've been silent for a bit, Curtis. <laughs> yeah. First of all, Curtis, you yes. got any recommendations for American Lit too? No. <laughs> See? I wish I did. <laughs> I mean, at least I came up with the Scum Manifesto. I don't know if you've read that. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. I think I'm going to fold it in. Yay. Nice. You should read it. She tried to kill Eileen Salerno. She tried to kill Warhol. She failed, obviously. Yeah. Cool, though. Cool, though. So I think this is something you brought up earlier, and there isn't really a great segue, so we will go to our second one, and... To, to, to quote, like, Jerry Seinfeld, should we do our best, like, what's the deal with racist language and programming? I don't know if that was a good Seinfeld or not, but this is something that came up that Grace brought up when she was doing research, and I hadn't given it much thought about, like, slave command, master command, things like that, and we tried to talk about it yesterday, but it mm-hmm. didn't go as productively as I felt like it should have, and most people were, like, over the quarter by now, I feels like. People are and, a little exhausted, yes. Thanksgiving. So, what do you feel is the deal with that? Because that's something I hadn't even noticed or thought about. Yeah, no, I hadn't really noticed it either until we brought it up in class. But um, I know we talked about a kind of in colonial or post-colonialism sort of the idea that language kind of inherently embodies the sort of culture that it's being or that's a part of, I guess. But, mm-hmm. So yeah, if there's, you know, we talked about a. Uh, all white people are just, or all white people in America are just Americans, and then they mm-hmm. have. Native Americans and all the other African Americans, Latino, mm-hmm. like we have that signifier of a separate American versus a white American. You're like, I think it's the one that gets thrown around a lot. Is like, why isn't European American used? You mm-hmm. know, yeah. 
as Lou, but I well, all those labels kind of apply a generalized identity, so that's kind of a big problem in general, like which ones mm-hmm. we saw be American, like why are we making that distinction? Mm-hmm. But then again, there is a very distinct sort of experience for each of those groups of people, so mm-hmm. I could mm-hmm. see the argument either way. But And we talked about, uh, uh, about AI and uh, one of the problems with AI being that um, it is designed by... Uh, you know, a group that's predominantly white and male, and therefore it has all of those biases, you know, to the point that, you know, facial recognition struggles with non-white faces right? mm-hmm. yeah. um, at a really fundamental sense. Um, but uh, it's important to note that it's, it's not just that the people in the rooms who are designing those AIs are, you know, male and white, even if they weren't, they're still the product of a community and a society that pri- privileges and um, and normalizes a particular experience as if it is, again, uh, the norm, right? So unless people are really sensitive to that as they do the designing, it kind of, it, you know, it's, it's great to have more diversity in the room, but people really need to be decentering those ideas of linguistic normativity, but also conceptual normativity as they, you know, as they design new things. Otherwise, you know, digital technologies or digital humanities or AI, it's just going to inherit all of the same biases no matter who's writing the code. You know? mm-hmm. um, so that idea about um, race in, des- in design and race in programming language is the sort of thing where we mentioned it yesterday. It's not just that humanists need to use tools that have been designed. Humanists really need to be producing those tools. Um, and, you know, a class like this should be a space where it's a laboratory where we think through those ideas and think mm-hmm. through um, does it matter and what would be the way of uh, changing, you know, if, if we think, oh, it actually is important that they use master and slave in programming languages and we should change that and here's why and here's how to change it. Um, that's the sort of thing that could come from humanists being in the room designing as opposed to just saying, well, they used all this problematic language, but I have to use their code. And we talked, too, about um, this, the trouble with the kind of utilitarian approach to all of this. Um, There is utility in, you know, as with the census example, in categorizing people as, you know, Native American, African American. Um, But it that doesn't mean that it escapes the conceptual issue of um, privileging just, quote, American-American as white American, as coded white American. Mm-hmm. And so it, if we only approach new digital tools or new digital environments with, um, uh, with efficiency and with utility in mind, then we're never going to decenter those things. I like how we're that just both sense. nodding yeah. our heads, yes. Yeah. You're talking like way up here over my head right now, but it's okay. That's usually a sign that I'm just rambling. It's but like it's that. okay. That's what we usually do is we just end up rambling. Yeah. I just, yeah, I, I, like I said, I hadn't really given it much thought and I don't have much programming knowledge, but yeah, I just, I wonder how we go about changing the systems like that. Like, how do we get humanists who can program and whatnot? Like, that's the hard part. It's because we're all so, as, as we've said, we're all so narrowed in on, like, what we do. Like, mm-hmm. I get, other than, like, a basic, like, intro to Microsoft class that I took for two credits at mm-hmm. a community college, I get zero 
digital access and same with my students I'm noticing is while they're supposed to be the digital native generation they don't know jack shit about actually using new kinds of technology yeah like they'll give me they'll show me how to give them the greatest snapchat filter ever or how to make a great tiktok Mm -hmm. video but if you ask them about anything about how to format a hanging indent in their word they're like I don't know how to do that but then again you know paper novelists didn't always know how to write newspapers Mm -hmm. you know it's um, expertise you know those are related fields but Mm -hmm. they're not necessarily the same and so there's always been some sense of you know having to teach yourself new skills as you remain flexible to different situations Um, although uh, if we were pursuing a true a future of true interdisciplinary um, sharing uh, you would have to understand how programming works and why programming works and what the issues with it are and the possibilities are, but you wouldn't necessarily need to be the actual programmer. You could mm-hmm. work with a programmer and you could each be programming, conceptualizing, programming, conceptualizing. Right? That would be what a collaborative approach to interdisciplinary work would look like. You know, it's I, One of the things that I've discovered is the degree to which it is impractical to expect you know everybody to... Now you have to, in eight weeks, learn how to code in a lot of different ways and mm-hmm. how to use a bunch of different digital tools. We all should, and it's been a fun experiment, but it's so labor-intensive. You know, how could you ask undergrads to do that sort of thing? Right? Yeah, this is true. Yeah. So, um, I'm curious to ask both of you, with that in mind, like, uh, Given you know the subject of our conversation and the subject of the course, and this sounds like an overly precious question, but if you were to remake the world, what does it look like? That's a wow. very good question. That's that's a great question. I'm gonna let you Building start. a utopia. So I'm, sorry, I'm, I'm trying to. Wouldn't think. it be an dystopia though? No, it would be somebody's. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Just I don't know what that even looks like. Yeah. That would. Yeah. I mean, we have sort of ideas that we want to be incorporated in that world but actually conceiving of that world is kind of difficult <laughs> you're, you're not wrong and I don't know how well it would actually work out because in the humanities we spend all of this time thinking that we're contributing to the building of a world yeah Yeah. Um, and again we all think privately that we're doing something important or that you know if it were up to me I at least I, I, could, I could craft something that's grand you know but we only just sort of end up to contributing to the world as it is. Yeah. And that's one of the big issues with academia is that we spend all of these times, this time with even instructors who are sort of coming to the room, wearing sneakers, going, you know, we're going to do <laughs> cool stuff. Hey, kids, let's rap. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it's just <laughs> Are you all... taking a shot at me there, Dr. Green? I think I took a shot at myself. <laughs> um, uh... But but it's all in the service of upholding what is at heart a small C and big C conservative, you know, institution. So how is that actual radicalism? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I don't think it is. Not I think it can be, but I don't know. Like I have this is kind of related, but not really. Uh, like we were taking critical methodologies, and we had to read Coolidge, mm-hmm. the section about the imagination or whatever, and we like to conflate the arts with divinity in a sort of weird way but yeah again like you said we're kind of just perpetuating what already exists 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So all art is sort of under his definitions fancy rather than imagination. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. So yeah, there's sort of. And I wish I had a good answer. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I don't think there is a good answer, and that's the whole point. Is like, yeah, we don't actually have an answer to like create a world on that sort of scale. So. But that's the issue, right, is if you want to do something in the digital humanities and you want to say, there's all of these new tools, we could be thinking, in not, not just doing new things with old ways of thinking, we could be thinking differently. Mm-hmm. We could change the way that human beings and society work, but we can't conceive of what that future looks like, and we're not going to craft it. Correct, yeah. Yeah. We got work to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just trying to think because that's like the grandiose, like, yeah, because just, yeah. I had a thought there and then I lost about the grand, like, not crafting the future. Is it almost like the unrealized futures that we talk about that are obliterated to create the future or current temporality we're in, I guess? I don't know. I'm just rambling yeah. now. That's kind of very, like, Borges to me. So it's good. <laughs> it's good it is. It is. Yay, me. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, the, in so many ways, the internet has been a story of um, unrealized potential. So it's a disappointment to mm-hmm. me, at least. Um, this experiment that was supposed to be democratize the world mm-hmm. um, has instead just produced you know, new masters. Okay. Um, if the best we could do with the internet was make Mark Zuckerberg, then we failed. Um, and we, we failed. Now, I know that's slippery because, you know, as all the discussions around you know, environmental collapse will point out, every time we say we, we're taking on the burden of corporations that are actually to blame. And that, that's mm-hmm. in some cases true for um, tech as well. But at the same time, we have these tools at our disposal in a really um, direct fashion, mm-hmm. you know. But if, if the only thing that's keeping us from doing it is a lack of imagination, that's a problem. Now, there are structural issues. There always are. But, um, you know, it, we should be using a class to figure out, you know, are, are we limited by those structural issues or are we limited by our imaginations? I don't know which answer is more troubling. But, mm, yeah. yeah. I, I'm going to go with both probably. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I was I was thinking both too, but then well, it's I guess like we're struggling to imagine a way to overcome those sort of mm-hmm. formalistic or structuralistic problems that we have. Yeah, and I think that's sort of where the like you said the collaboration has to come into play because more minds are better than just one. Mm-hmm. And and I wonder if that because you just hit on that if that's something that we're missing is we're trying to conceptualize this new world as individuals instead of being like let's do this as a group because I feel mm-hmm. like. I feel like had you posed that question of how would we make a world in our, like how if we could remake the world, I bet you as a class we'd probably be a lot further than we are now, just the three mm-hmm. of us being like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I feel like that just there is is a sign that we should be collaborating because it seems like most of our great ideas, at least in the realm of this class, have come from like bouncing ideas off of others and collaboration. And yeah. I think that that may be a key that we're missing is like, Instead of how would you, it's like how should we make a better world, you know? Right, right. At least a more fun world. I mean, if we can't, if we can't fix the planet, (laughs) um, we're still a 
classroom in academia, and academia is boring mm-hmm. unless we force it not to be. This you know? is true. So at the very least, we could come up with more interesting ways of doing things. Um, and I think we've done that. I, mm-hmm. I, I do think that we've done that. Um, but that collaborative, um, you know, not, not pushback necessarily, but... Um, the way that, as you described, we've sort of bounced ideas off of each mm-hmm. other, and that's how we've produced something really yeah. interesting. Um, that has value in and of itself, and I think that has value in the world, you know, to, to use classrooms like that. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, we have one more thing to go here. I don't know what that we're at for time yet. We are at... 33 minutes. Okay, we got time for one more here because we were trying to keep it under 30 minutes, but that... Oops, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, it doesn't even happen good. with us. That's on me. I'm windy. Oh, it's, dude. This is... Yeah, no, we here. had, what, two weeks ago, 50 minutes? So it's not yeah. just you, it's us too. And then the last one that we want to talk about is are we, like, the digital di- dictators? Because, like, as we've talked about, like, when creating archives and this and that all of the digital projects we are doing, we are giving primacy to the things that we feel as like the experts are important instead of being like communal, like what is important to digitize, you know? Mm-hmm. Like one of the things that was we're struggling with and we're still trying to find a spot is like you had a student who wanted to talk about a 1970s uh, graphic novel written about Spokane. Like, uh-huh. yeah. and like that would be a thing that probably would never get onto the radar to be like, let's make this digital if it weren't for that one person. So, like, Mm -hmm. that's something that we kind of struggle with is, like, as we curate, as we create, are we just being a weird sort of digital dictator through our processes? I think the answer is yes. You you feel like it. I think so. Because, as we've said, I think we brought it up, like, even with the... uh, the digital archives that various countries are doing is like they're putting primacy on their own native text, not versions of like world renowned texts that are like in their language, but like their native texts are like their primacy. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? To some extent. I think the, um, I guess that's where the sort of the modesty has to come in, right? To where I don't even know, like you can't collect everything can you <laughs> is there a way to do that and then how do we categorize it and is because we talked about this yesterday the way in which we kind of think about databases the way in which we kind of make categorize the way we categorize things so that you can find what you're looking for basically mm-hmm. when you're going through a database is there a sort of is that kind of does that reflect our society or the you know the shortcomings of our society mm-hmm. in some mm-hmm. sense i don't know but um yeah i think maybe it's the or just the culture in general that becomes the dictator rather than us or our failure to uh, try and, like, imagine something different. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that suffices. <laughs> I, I don't know. It sounds like a good answer. We'll let the three other... I guess all the people who listen to this podcast are in the room because... According to, well, no, legit. I can make it an assignment. According to, according to Anchor, our our estimated popu- our estimated like listening base is three people, and <laughs> you know exactly. Yeah, there are three. I think one or two we had like four people listen to, and I was like excited, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it just hasn't taken off. Well, but. we also have the the Twitter account that asked for us to link that. Oh shit! I forgot yeah. about that. Send it to them. Um. So, uh, in those terms, um, you know, it is always, in terms of the, the dictatorship, right? Well, so first of all, um, 
what we are doing with this class is hopefully uh, modeling. You know, we're not out at the. Do we call this a quad? It's called the mall. The mall. We're not out on the mall. You know, <laughs> doing this, just inviting people out into our tables. Mm -hmm. um, we're in a room. We're sort of a, a small little group doing this, but it can be a model for different kinds of scholarship, and that can influence the university or the department or just you know what you all do when you teach undergrads mm -hmm. you, you, you know so there's some value in that that hopefully gets beyond just dictating um, because we have been collaborative we have invited in um, contributions from one another mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing the other is it has always been true that you can approach scholarship as a, a master or a servant you can always go to it as you know I have the answer about uh, a text and you, I'm going to teach it to you or I read this text because I'm a servant of it. You know, I'm, I'm speaking to this voice in the past or in the present because you know, I want to be the vehicle by which you know, they produce ideas or beauty or love in the world um, and I'm going to be a servant of my students rather than somebody in, in a position of mastery giving students your knowledge. You know. um, that's always been the case. Uh, so I don't think that's different when we're doing digital humanities versus just regular humanities. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that um, maybe, it's, maybe it's more transparent, or maybe it's just more transparent because we spent a quarter having that conversation, or sort of having that conversation. Um, and maybe if you did any course where you know you spent a bunch of time not just you know reading X Y or Z but like talking about those relationships of power and how it can expand it, maybe you'd end up having the same kinds of kinds of conversations. But um, but yeah, I come back to those those things. Number one, we are a model. Number two, it has always been true you can be a master or a servant. So. Okay, I like that answer. That's very. Can you be both at the same time? Is that possible? Master answer, answer. That's a good question, right? <laughs> That's uh, now we're uh, now I feel like we're getting theological. But that's all right. Can, <laughs> can you be the miracle and also also wash the feet? <laughs> this is true. Um, yeah, except we need a different. You know, mastery is a performance of mastery. It's a repeated exercise in mastery. Um, this is why it's such a, you know, it's not a neutral term, um, mm -hmm. you know, because when you practice it, you're also practicing the whole history of how it's been practiced upon people, um, communities, you know. Um, but can you be an expert in a room, but also a, a person who's completely, you know, ignorant? Can you be a person who has answers and has questions? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you're doing your job right. Uh, but I also have a particular bias because that's how I hope I'm teaching my classes, even at the most traditional. Um, and that's also then how I think that we should approach digital humanities in both of those respects. Say, here's what I have to offer, but um, please, please, I want more answers. Mm -hmm. than, I want to take more answers than I gave. You know? Which is greedy, but also um, egalitarian. Mm -hmm. I don't know what else either. Yeah, that was. Yeah, we've tried to unpack a lot. I don't know if we got any answers. We usually get 
I don't know. Like, I, I feel like most of the times when this podcast is successful, like, we leave with more questions than answers. Yeah. yeah. And on that note, I guess we can end on our usual unprofessionalism. I'm Justin. I'm Curtis. And I'm Ian. Have a good Thanksgiving. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.